Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Coming up, biased journalists, fake MacBooks, and ejected caucus members. The Andrew Lawton Show starts right now. Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is the Andrew Lawton Show on True North. It is Tuesday, May 18th, 2021. Thank you so much for tuning in to the program today. A lot of the stuff I want to talk about today is really extending on things that we talked about in the last couple of weeks, issues that are still very much front and center, although certainly permeating through different areas of society. And I actually want to begin by talking about what's happening in the Middle East. The latest flare-up between Israel and Hamas is now entering its second week. The rockets are still flying into Israel. Israel is still defending itself. But the anti-Israel rhetoric is ratcheting way, way, way up. I'm going to talk about a little bit of the anti-Semitism that we're seeing in communities across Canada and around the world, but I, I want to talk about it through the lens of the media first, because last week on the show I spoke with Mike Fagelman, who is the executive director of Honest Reporting Canada, and Mike does a, a great job of tracking all of the examples, not just of bias, but of actually just plain factual errors or misinformation or perhaps disinformation that we see coming from the mainstream media when it comes to Israel issues. And he does this. He does it all the time. He's had lots to write about in the last little while. Over the weekend, there was an open letter that was circulating purportedly among Canadian journalists, but it sort of just extended beyond that and became a letter for garden variety activists and opinionated people. But the letter has a very clear mandate, an open letter to Canadian newsrooms on covering Israel-Palestine. The letter is meant for journalists to sign to establish their position on how Israel issues should be covered, how Israel-Palestine issues should be covered specifically. And the letter points out, oh, the Middle East is complicated. We need to hear both sides. Everyone has a lot of emotions about this. They don't point that out because they agree with it. They point that out to actually dismantle those ideas by saying that they are just excuses that news editors have provided to Canadian journalists trying to cover the escalated violence. They say there is no nuanced Canadian media coverage. They say the media is not covering international human rights violations. They say that Canadian journalists need to do what they did with the George Floyd protests and start taking really an activist lens against Israel when covering the Israel-Hamas conflict. And they make a bunch of claims in this that are contested allegations that they say journalists need to report on as facts. Like, for example, that Israel is in, quote, grave breach of international law. That Israel is guilty of, quote, ethnic cleansing, unquote. That there is dispossession, violence against innocent civilians and children, state-sanctioned racism. But they say journalists are, are tiptoeing around these issues. Now, all of the examples of media bias on this we talked about last week suggest that the journalists are already kind of on side with this. They're already biased against Israel in a lot of their coverage at a number of outlets. But this letter goes and says that they need to go even further. 
And they make a claim at the end of it that sounds noble enough. They say that there should be in-depth, fair, and balanced coverage. That the tenets of journalism should apply to Canadian coverage of the occupied Palestinian territories moving forward. And sure, fair, balanced coverage, this is a good thing. I don't dispute that. But it's all of the preambulatory clauses that lead up to that point that are not talking about showing both sides. In fact, the signatories of this letter actually oppose both sides because they view this not as an issue where there is a contest. They view it as an issue where their side is the right side. And you look at this letter, 45 pages of signatures. As of the time I record this, it's up to about 2,100. Most of these people are not journalists. There are individuals, activists, architect. I saw one person put down their job as housewife. But if you look through it, it's astonishing how many mainstream media reporters there are. I did a little control F for CBC and found 32 mentions. Now, a couple of those are in the preamble, but approximately 30 CBC staff from producers to reporters have signed this. You look up Toronto Star, very similar thing. I see actually 21 people who associated their job title as being with the Toronto Star. I think about five with the Globe and Mail, and it goes on with CTV, Global, and not just columnists, not just opinionated people, but those who are supposed to be unbiased, objective reporters. And I'm not going to go through them. You can look through the names yourself. The point of the matter is we should be grateful in some way because these folks are outing their own bias. They're outing the fact that they want to not just cover Israel-Palestine issues, but impose their view on these issues, which is political, which is partisan, which is charged and loaded, and they want to impose that on their coverage and the coverage from other people in their newsrooms. You know, the rhetoric that's being adopted here is actually rhetoric that's driven by the political left, by campus activists, by people in academia. So it's unsurprising, but still concerning, that it has seeped its way into media coverage, that it seeped its way into a way the way that journalists are, again, supposed to be objectively covering this. When they talk about terms like ethnic cleansing, by the way, let me just take a step back here. Gaza has one of the highest birth rates in the world. It has one of the largest population growths in the world. If Gaza were the victim of ethnic cleansing, it would be the most ham-fisted, poorly executed ethnic cleansing in the history of the world. And I'm so glad that it's not happening. I'm glad that ethnic cleansing is not occurring at the hands of Israel. But I'll tell you what is happening. Hamas is actually trying to ethnically cleanse Jews. This is from the Hamas Charter. This is not a conspiracy theory. This is not something that is anywhere other than in the plain language of Hamas itself. From the Charter, Israel will exist and will continue to exist until Islam will obliterate it, just as it obliterated others before it. And I don't think there's a notwithstanding clause on that charter. So that's the Hamas position that we need to obliterate Israel, not coexist peacefully, not have a nice little two-state solution, but obliterate it. That's ethnic cleansing. Hamas has called for the elimination of the Jewish people entirely. They don't want an Israel. They don't want a Jewish diaspora. But Israel is, to Canadian journalists now, the executor of ethnic cleansing. So I take a huge issue with that term, especially since Jews have themselves been on the receiving end of ethnic cleansing in the past. 
And if you look at a lot of the signs from pro-Palestine, pro-Gaza demonstrations across Canada over the weekend, it's not uncommon to see Israel linked to Nazism, which is incredibly offensive, but also in the current dynamic between Israel and Hamas, Hamas are the new Nazis, not Israel. Now, Fatima Syed, who is one of the signatories of this letter, and I should say she's with National Observer, which is a media organization, but it's one that does not hide the fact that it's engaged in advocacy. So they are on the left, but again, they're open about what they're doing. She had tweeted out yesterday that a bunch of us, and I'm assuming she means colleagues in media, are hearing reports that journalists who signed the open letter asking for fair, nuanced coverage of Gaza are being told they can't cover it because they show a lack of objectivity and then she links to another document that's telling people how to challenge their bosses if their bosses say hey you've signed this activist letter you therefore can't cover this issue and I find it interesting because on one hand I guess it means that the open letter has had the reverse effect because now all of the people that do want to cover the issue that way are being told by their bosses they can't so perhaps the problem has solved itself because these journalists have self-selected inadvertently out of covering this. But I do think that there's an important point here, because when I took aim at this letter on Twitter over the weekend, I had a number of people telling me that, oh, objectivity is a myth, which to some extent I agree with. Journalists will always have their bias. The issue is, will you cover things in a fair and responsible way, irrespective of that bias? And the backlash that I got was quite astonishing. People saying that, you know, this is like not taking a position on murder. This is like not taking a position on the Holocaust because they genuinely speaking do not believe that there are two sides. And this is what Jenica Atwin, who's a Green Party MP, said, which again, she's an MP, she's got her own political beliefs, that's fine. But it was a remarkably succinct way of putting the problem here. I stand with Palestine. There are no two sides to this conflict, only human rights abuses. And usually the statements you get from politicians are a lot more equivocal of, I want both sides to come. She's very frank. She says there are no two sides. And that's what a lot of Canadian journalists are saying as well. And again, people may say, well, Andrew, you've been pro-Israel. You've been to Israel. You've talked about this. Yeah, I don't hide it though. I don't pretend that I'm presenting a balanced view when I speak about my perspective on this, my analysis, my research. I am pro-Israel. I think the facts support Israel, but I'm also incredibly aware and incredibly transparent about where I stand on this. The issue with the journalists who have signed these letters is that, well, they're owning up to it now to some extent, but these are the people in jobs that don't afford them the right to inject their opinion in. In fact, jobs that forbid them from doing that. These are people who claim that they are the arbiters of a neutral objective truth when in actuality they are political hacks passing off a very wrong, in my view, but a very charged opinion as though it is a neutral objective truth. And that's the problem with this. And most of these people have put their names to it. This one I found funny, line 143 on the letter. Anonymous Anonymous of CBC Toronto. It's a reporter there who is either named Anonymous Anonymous. I think it might be Turkish, if memory serves. Anonymous Anonymous. No, or or they just don't want to own up to it. So you've got a CBC Toronto reporter out there that believes strongly enough that they want to sign this letter, but not so strongly enough that they want anyone to know about it. So I always tell people to be mindful of CBC coverage, but especially in this particular context as well. 
And it isn't just people in the media that are taking these positions. Also in politics, we have at True North a roundup of a number of politicians that have made some fairly anti-Israel comments from the NDP to the Greens to the Liberals, but it's not limited to just those. There were a few MLAs in Alberta who decided to take aim at human rights abuses, and in at least two of those cases, they were completely uninterested in the violence against Israel at the hands of Hamas. Mohammed Yassin, who is a UCP, a conservative MLA in Calgary, said it was heartbreaking to see the escalating violence and breach of fundamental human rights in the Middle East, specifically in Gaza and the West Bank. The loss of life of innocent men, women, and children is never acceptable, even in war. I hope as more people are engaged on this issue that the violence will turn to dialogue and eventually a peaceful resolution. He has a right to believe what he wants, but it's a little bit of an odd position in the Conservative Party and the Conservative movement in Canada. And then there is Mickey Amory who writes that he was disturbed by the events around Al-Aqsa Mosque. This is Israel in the midst of a rather violent riot, a demonstration raiding a mosque during Ramadan, which was when the protests were taking place. He says the escalation and use of violence against innocent and unarmed Palestinian worshippers and civilians at Islam's third holiest site is indefensible. He says the government of Alberta does not have a foreign affairs policy, but as a humanitarian, a father, a husband, and on behalf of those I represent as MLA for Calgary Cross, I fully condemn this violence. He says it's our duty to speak out when human rights violations occur. He talks about injustices, social injustices, but then he calls on the federal government to intervene. So he is actually, as an Alberta MLA, calling for federal government intervention against Israel, because he says that Israel is committing rampant human rights abuses. He wants the federal government to get involved. And this is a fairly odd comment from an Alberta MLA to call for federal intervention in a conflict when I don't even think we're hearing that from federal MPs who themselves have been very critical of Israel. Now, there was another MLA who's actually a minister who had posted a rather vague comment about human rights being human rights and we need to protect them. And I tried to get some clarification from her on what it was that she was actually saying. This was Minister Rajan Sani, and it did not get a response. Her uh, press secretary just said to read her social media post, which was why I was so confused in the first place. Jason Kenney, Alberta Premier Jason Kenney, did a press conference, and I asked about this. His MLAs were, I mean, in one case, calling on the federal government to intervene in the Israel-Hamas conflict. I asked Jason Kenney what his position was, if this actually spoke for the UCP or for Premier Kenney. No, and I believe it's only one MLA who has made that comment. Um, Andrew, as you know, uh, provinces do not have foreign policies. Canada has only one foreign policy. Uh, my views about uh, that conflict are very well known uh, from my two decades in the federal parliament and my 10 years in the federal cabinet. Uh, but I make a very deliberate point of not uh, freelancing into uh, foreign policy. We ask uh, one of the long-standing demands of Alberta is that the federal government stay out of our backyard in areas of our exclusive constitutional jurisdiction. And I have to reciprocate when it comes to their areas of exclusive jurisdiction, such as foreign policy. Um, I will say this, though. I am concerned to have seen uh, over the re weekend uh, a number of disturbing reports about um, anti-Semitic 
threats and behavior. Uh, we've, uh, there's a report out of Edmonton about uh, an individual who claims uh, that people came to his house, quotes, asking if Jews lived here. Um, and we saw these um, apparently violent incidents uh, in, in Toronto. Uh, so I, I find that abhorrent and uh, I condemn uh, any expression of anti-Semitism in any part of this country, period. So Jason Kenney saying Alberta does not have a foreign policy, not for him, not for Alberta legislators to start dictating how the federal government should engage with the world. But he was very clear to say that he has a record on this that's very clear from when he was in federal politics, and he's always been a supporter of Israel, and also very clear to condemn anti-Semitism, which is very important. We're seeing in large, large numbers across the country right now. And just as an aside, that one case Jason Kenny mentioned of a video that was from a longtime member of Edmonton's Jewish community. And he, he spoke about just this really bizarre experience he had. He was at his parents' house, I believe, and there was a car of, of pro-Palestine demonstrators. And they, they just asked, it sounds like rather nonchalantly, if any Jews lived in the area, which is just absolutely chilling. And I've talked to a number of people who genuinely feel unsafe as Jews in Canada. It is the last acceptable bigotry. A friend of mine, Laura Rosen-Cohen, has said quite famously now that everyone meets at Jew-hate junction. You've got people in different political groups, different religious groups, different ethnicities that all seem to, in their extremes, converge on hatred of Jews. And it is the last acceptable bigotry. Whenever anyone talks about hate crimes, hate crimes against Jews are always the most significant group, and yet the one that everyone talks about the least. It's all about Islamophobia now and all of that stuff. And I reached out to the offices of MLAs Yassine and Amory, and I said very clearly, which human rights abuses are you talking about? And specifically, will you also condemn Hamas, or do you condemn Hamas? And MLA Yassine's aide responded and said, can I get a phone number for you? Which I responded to immediately with my number. Never heard back. And MLA Amory's office did not respond at all. So two MLAs who were very critical of Israel, one more directly and explicitly than the other, nonetheless, and neither, neither has responded to a very clear question, will you condemn Hamas? That's it. Will you condemn Hamas? Yes or no? If you can look at this conflict and not find it in yourself to condemn Hamas, that is a disgusting position that you hold. As I said on the show last week, whatever you think about Israel, whatever you think about the plight of the Palestinian people, whatever you think about where the blame is in a lot of the conflict, you cannot hold Hamas up as anything other than a group of terrorist thugs. Hamas is responsible for more Palestinian deaths than any other group imaginable, and that includes Israel. Hamas kills more people and puts them in harm's way than Israel ever could. And the reality of this is that anyone who refuses to condemn Hamas is doing it because either A, they believe with what Hamas is trying to accomplish, which is just disgusting in its own right. I remind you of the charter of obliterating Israel. Or it's because they don't want to take away from the complete contempt or hatred they hold for Israel. That's the only justification for not condemning Hamas. Either you agree with them or you just hate Israel that much you don't want to leave any wiggle room for anyone to think that you don't hate Israel.
And again, condemnation of Hamas does not mean you have to agree with everything Israel does. It doesn't mean you can't have a conversation or a debate about what's happening in Sheikh Jarrah, about what happened in Al-Aqsa Mosque, about how Israel navigates the issues with the territories that are currently governed by Palestinian Authority or by Hamas. You can talk about all of these things. But if you can't accept as fact that Hamas is a terrorist group, which most free countries in the world, including Canada, accept, then you are not prepared to have an honest conversation about it. You're not prepared to have that nuanced dialogue that those Canadian journalists were calling for. We've got to take a break. When we come back, more of The Andrew Lawton Show here on True North. You're tuned in to The Andrew Lawton Show. We are back here on The Andrew Lawton Show. All right, we did some heavy stuff, so this story is kind of fun. And don't read too much into this. Don't make this out to be more than it actually is. But Justin Trudeau is gearing up for an election campaign. He's having a lot of these uh, weird sort of Zoom meetings and this event and that event all virtually. He's meeting with this group and that group. And every now and then he has an official photographer that's going to snap a photo of him that's going to be used to promote this, going to be used for Liberal Party fundraising, for example. And this one is a bit of a weird one. It was first flagged by uh, Brian Passafume with the Toronto Sun, and it's Justin Trudeau looking happy there on a Zoom call, and he is typing away on his MacBook Pro, except, well, hang on, that's that's, uh, that's that's not a MacBook Pro at all. That's a, well, if you, you got to really, really zoom in there. It is an HP computer with an Apple sticker <laughs> over the HP logo, and I, I don't know why you would want to do this. And by the way, this is I'm I'm on a Mac right now, but there's no like you can see that there's no you can see my computer is a bit dirty, uh, but that is a, an honest a bona fide Apple. There, there's no HP under there. Now, not everyone's a Mac lover. That's fine, <laughs> but why would you pretend to be using a Mac? If you are actually using an HP computer, it's not even like Mac is a Canadian computer company and you had to look like you were uh, supporting local. No, it's, it's, you know, one American tech company versus another American tech company. And now Brian Lilly with the Toronto Sun, he, he goes with, he goes into like the archives and he says, you know, he's a fake feminist. He's a fake anti-racist. He's a fake this. Now is he a fake Mac user? I, I just think it's a bizarre thing to, I mean, you, you don't lie about things that don't matter. Ideally, politicians wouldn't lie at all. But if you are going to, you want to make it about something that, that's really going to count. You know, like, for example, she experienced it differently or the reports in the Globe and Mail are false. You, you want to lie when it's going to dig you out of a hole there, Justin Trudeau. Uh, he's just pretending to be using a Mac for no discernible reason. And uh, some people are saying, you know, it's just proof that everything is a facade. You know, the Mac sticker, the blackface makeup, whatever the case may be. Everything is just skin deep with Justin Trudeau. I'm not going to go to MacGate. I'm not going to make this a gate. I'm not going to make it a huge scandal, but it is just odd. And I think you can have a chuckle about it, even with all of the frustrations that exist throughout politics right now. Now, one comms director for the Liberals, Braden Cayley, had kind of accused this of being a hard-hitting sleuthing, he said in a mocking tone. He said it was a team laptop borrowed for a moment in the Liberal Party of Canada Volunteer Hub for a drop-in to thank volunteers virtually. He said some especially keen Apple fans just brought some real change to the look of a team's computer. So he couldn't even do the spin without dropping in the Liberal 
real change slogan. But hey, if real change constitutes slapping a sticker on one thing and pretending it's another, that actually is a remarkably good way of describing Justin Trudeau's approach to real change. Just slap a fancy sticker on something, but don't actually change anything at all. Oh my goodness. All right, well, let's turn to something far more important now. Over the weekend, I know this is a fairly Alberta-focused show, but I hope you'll bear with me here. Over the weekend, a very long caucus meeting resulted in the expulsion of two MLAs from Jason Kenney's UCP caucus. Those MLAs, Todd Lowen and Drew Barnes, seem to be punished for challenging their leader, if you will. Todd Lowen is the MLA who last week published that letter in which he announced he was stepping down from his role as UCP caucus chair and calling on Jason Kenney to resign. This was really trying to call attention to what he says is a leadership deficit in the way Jason Kenney's been handling the pandemic. We know there's been a lot of criticism for Kenny from within his own caucus on lockdowns and restrictions. And Todd Lowen had said, listen, I cannot serve in this position. So this was something that triggered this marathon caucus meeting on the weekend. Again, seven hours long by all accounts. And at the end of it, Drew Barnes, who we've had on the show a number of times, was also caught up in it. Now, Drew Barnes has been in the past critical of certain government directives, but he's also been in other ways a, a foot soldier of the UCP, as Todd Lowen has. And more importantly, they're trying to represent their constituents and their base. But that was not good enough. The UCP has ejected them from caucus and said that they were dividing the caucus, dividing the party. I want to dig into this a little bit further. Drew Barnes, Cypress Medicine Hat MLA, joins me on the line now. Newly independent Cypress Medicine Hat MLA. Drew, it's good to talk to you. Thanks for coming on today. Nice to talk to you again, Andrew. Thank you. Now, Drew, as I mentioned, you are a newly independent MLA, but I should stress this is not by choice, is it? Yeah, I, um, <laughs> it was an interesting uh, situation for sure. The, the premier for, for about a year had said that he welcomed public debate. He welcomed public discussion. Of course, Andrew, I'm not in cabinet, so my role is to hold the government to account. And of course, Cypress Medicine Hat constituents believe that Alberta should be the free and most prosperous place in North America. And that was my job and my goal to, uh, you know, do what I I could to make that happen. And, um, you know, all of a sudden, uh, Thursday, after my colleague Todd uh, Lowen had, had published the letter, uh, it was determined that uh, <laughs> I should be ejected from caucus as well. But, you know, Andrew, that's, that's also an important part. Um, Todd Lowen, a very respectful, hardworking, constituent uh, conservative, heard from his constituents to such a degree that, that Premier Kenny and the UCP government had not met expectations that he felt so strongly he had to publicly ask for the Premier's resignation. And then that kicked off a process that uh, I now find myself as, a, as an independent. So I have to ask you on that note, uh, Drew, why you? Why at this point? Because I, I understand, not that I agree with it, but I understand the timing of Todd's expulsion from caucus, given that he had written that letter. It was kind of surprising when at the end of this meeting, the news comes out that you were swept up in this as well. What was the rationale for uh, kicking you out at that moment? You know, all as I can surmise is that he, you know, Premier Kenny really doesn't believe in in dissent and debate and again, you know, when I'm not a, minister, a member of cabinet, when I'm not a minister, it's my obligation. And I'm so honored to represent Cypress Medicine Hat now in my third term. It's my obligation to, to present ideas to the government, 
to to you know criticize when they're wrong to to present ideas and to hold them to account and and you know my my summation at this point is is that wasn't the case you know i i think back seven or eight months when I, I supported the government because we had a regional approach to the COVID lockdowns. And uh, when the government abandoned the regional approach, I changed my level of support for what they were doing. And uh, I don't know, in uh, the rear view mirror, I guess it was only uh, allowed if I was mostly on side. Certainly the lockdowns and restrictions seem to galvanize a lot of people, and we're seeing this across the country, not just in Alberta, as far as response to government's uh, directions and policies on this. But you had had some misgivings about the way that the government was handling some other files, I know. You and I spoke previously about Western alienation, about the upcoming referendum, and it sounds like this uh, lockdown, uh, the the resistance to the lockdowns was not an isolated uh, frustration, if I can use the word, that you had. Yeah, um, I hear it time and time again from Albertans and, and Cypress Medicine Hatters that they feel strongly that uh, Premier Kenny has not met expectations. Uh, two years ago, uh, the election of the Premier and the UCP was to get a fairer deal with Ottawa and our Canadian partners. I mean, you know, we send about 25 billion more a year into the Canadian Confederation than we receive, and we've had some tough times. And, uh, you know, it's time to to change that uh, and, and Albertans tell me all the time that they want to push the envelope to, to see what can be achieved. Uh, there's a lot of disenchantment. They feel that, uh, that, that Premier Kenny has, has abandoned that. Secondly, the fiscal situation, Andrew. Right now, Alberta has the highest per capita deficit, the highest per capita deficit of all, uh, of all Canadian provinces. And of course, our, our desire for freedom, for choice, for fiscal responsibility is, is very, very high here. And Andrew, maybe the third thing is a poll came out uh, a short time ago showing that Premier Kenny in Alberta, in Alberta, Premier Kenny's popularity has slipped so much, he's polling at the same level as Justin Trudeau. And so when you're, you're polling at the same level with somebody whose values don't match Albertans, you know, that's that's an indicator of the uh, the frustration and, and the desire for change that Albertans are having. I know you said that you're not in cabinet. So you thought that your role as an MLA was to speak out against things that you didn't like and hold the government to account. But there is, I think, a question that a lot of people would ask here, Drew, which is why did you, if you had these misgivings about the leadership of your party, why did you not resign? Why did you stick around in the UCP when you were seeing these uh, concerns that you've outlined? Yeah, and then a fair question, and thank you for that. Um, you know, we're, we're two years into this term, we're two years before the next election, and it was always that trade-off. You try to change it from within, you keep speaking up from within, you keep trying to put things on the caucus agenda that never appear on the caucus agenda. You, at what point do you say, you know, I, I'm better to be outside this, this party than inside, to affect the kind of change that my constituents are looking for. Um, you know, freedom and prosperity is what, what I hear daily from families and communities in Alberta and Cypress Medicine Hat. Uh, again, the feeling is strong that uh, Premier Kenny and the UCP is, is off track. And uh, so, you know, and, and Andrew, one of the things about now that's kind of ironic is, you know, six, eight months ago when I'd be talking to my constituents and they'd say, yeah, we're not happy with the way things are going, but stick there, keep trying to change, you know, see, see what can happen. I, I would estimate maybe 70% used to say that. Um, in the last month, uh, 
fewer and fewer. So, you know, and, and, and I'm excited about this opportunity. Now I have the chance to, to be an independent, an independent conservative. I think there's tens of thousands of Albertans whose voices aren't being heard. Uh, this gives me the, the opportunity to listen to them, to learn from them and, and to act. And, uh, you know, I, I'm grateful that I have the chance to uh, be the voice of many Albertans who feel their thoughts and ideas weren't making it to the floor of the legislature. When you look at uh, what happened in your time in the UCP culminating in this expulsion from caucus, had you been put on notice? Had you been warned or was this completely out of left field? <laughs> completely out of left field. Uh, it was There was a caucus meeting for Thursday. It was cancelled and that would have been the second one in a row cancelled. I woke up the next morning and saw Todd Lowen's letter uh, calling for the premier's resignation. And I thought, okay, this will lead to something. So a, a new caucus meeting was called for 1230. Um, there was a little trouble getting it going and about five to one when it started uh, the second or third thing was uh, there's going to be a vote on, on on ejecting Todd Andrew Barnes. So uh, I spent ended up spending five or six hours on the phone, uh, you know, saying my side of the story, what I was hearing from my constituents, the premier's plummeting popularity and how that was a factor, how we needed to pivot as a group. Um, and then we ended up with uh, uh, votes cast uh, and at about 735, uh, as expected, you know, I, as, soon as, they, as soon as it was announced that they were going to vote on my ejection, I believed I was done. But as expected at 735, I was done. And it's time to talk to my con constituents, talk to my family, and it's time to reorganize so I can do the best job for Albertans that believe in freedom, prosperity, and fiscal conservative values. Has there been a roadmap of sorts on how you might get back into caucus, if that's something you would at all even be interested in, or is your is your view that this is kind of a, a permanent uh, response? Well, you know, I, I as a conservative, and, and as I was one of the early people to support putting the, the two legacy parties, the Wild Rose and the PCs together, uh, a lot of the great work done by our volunteers in terms of policy and governance for the UCP is great stuff. There's a lot of, of good stuff there. Um, so there's a lot of things I'm aligned with with the UCP for sure. But at this point, what I am not aligned with is, is the leadership. So uh, that would have to change. How alone, if I can use the term, do you feel you are among your former colleagues right now? Because I, I've heard whispers and rumors of people that are similarly dissatisfied, but when push comes to shove, I'm not hearing the public displays of support for you and Todd right now. Yeah, thanks for that question. No, I, I feel quite strong uh, and, and thank them so much. Several of them spoke on, on my behalf. Se several of them have texted me, called me, emailed, uh, offering support and a chance to talk. Uh, yeah, no, I, I feel really strong about it. And, and you know, it was always the, the same old age old struggle. Do you, do you speak up just from within or do you speak up publicly or do you do both? How, how, how does caucus move uh, a premier and cabinet to, to get them on track to, to where Albertans are happy with the direction, which again is freedom and prosperity, you know, in Albertans books and Cypress Medicine Hat. So no, I, uh, there, there's a lot of support there. Uh, for what I was doing and what I was saying, uh, especially when it comes to, you know, pushing the envelope with Ottawa for a fair deal, having regionalization for the COVID restrictions, 
smaller, less expensive government. There was lots of support. And uh, I, I'm a little concerned that my ejection will lead some of, of them to speak up less because there's a penalty to pay. But the other side of that, Andrew, is, is I've had hundreds of people reach out to me just in two or three days and, and pat, you know, pat me on the back, congratulate me, offer me encouragement is the main thing. And uh, so, uh, so I'm, I'm really grateful for that. And I will bet you and I'll guarantee you that my colleagues will be the same. When they, when they stand with their constituents, they'll get support. And that's important. That is, I think, a tremendously important point because, you know, there's that old that old line that, you know, eventually you're, you're going to run out of people to stand up for you if you don't stand up for others who go through this. And and if there are these frustrations, if we are going to see boiling points coming forward on lockdown policy, on Western alienations, it stands to reason that other people will end up in a very similar situation. And you're right. When confronted with that, you've got two choices. You can either go along with the group or you can stand up. And, and I think a lot of people might not realize how many people there are like them that are out there and that are even within the caucus. And I think this is especially true for a, a party that's a relatively new party, a party that also is in a, a first-term majority government, which means you've got a lot of first-term MLAs that might not know their own power. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they have tremendous power. I mean, 87 of us are paid by the taxpayers of Alberta to speak on the behalf of, of 4.4 mm -hmm. million Albertans. And uh, and and the legislature is the opportunity, you know, magnified through the media, like like True North, to to get those ideas out. And, and there's a tremendous amount of power, and that power comes comes from the people. And uh, you know, just my Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn stuff since since I put out my statement, you know, saying that I was going to, you know, be an independent conservative. I was going to to be the voice of of many. Albertans who felt their voices weren't being heard. It, it's in the thousands that, that have reached out to me and, and offered support and ideas. And uh, we're, we're excited about the opportunity going forward. And, you know, I, I have good relations with, with many of my, my former colleagues. And, and I will always open, when the goal is making Alberta the best and free and prosperous, we, we all have our hearts in that same thing. So I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic. I'm excited that uh, this will work out better for Albertans. Just moving forward, is your plan to continue to sit as an independent? Are you looking at joining the Wildrose Independence Party or, or some other party? And, and I guess extending on that, what about the next election? Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, first, I'm going to be talking to my family, my wife, and I have three adult sons. Then I'm going to spend as much time as, as possible talking to my constituency and see their preferences, their ideas, their, their decisions. Um, I'm grateful that, that the people in WIPA, people in other parties have reached out to me and talked to me, and I'm certainly willing to, to hear their ideas and, and that kind of thing. But going forward, I'm going to be sitting as an independent, talking to my constituents, hearing what's important. And when it comes to the next election, you know, I'm so grateful that I'm in my 10th year, my third term. Uh, I'm honored to represent Cypress Medicine Hat. And I feel strongly that, that I still have the energy, the ideas, and the desire to serve Albertans and to serve Cypress Medicine Hat. So at this point in time, I am, I'm keenly still interested in, uh, in public service. And um, future might be, be a bit uh, up, up and down and, and topsy-turvy the next little while. So let's see what happens. Newly independent UCP MLA for Cypress Medicine Hat, Drew Barnes. Drew, thanks so much for coming on today. Andrew, thanks for talking to you. 
That was former UCP MLA Drew Barnes, still the MLA, just not the UCP, one of two ejected over the weekend for speaking out against the UCP's leadership. That does it for me for today. We'll be back in a couple days' time with more of Canada's most irreverent talk show here on True North. This is The Andrew Lawton Show. Thank you, God bless, and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.